Thank you for joining us for this DP City Church podcast. Connect, grow, serve. This is Edge Class 7, if I'm good at math, but if you were here this morning, I'm, I'm about the same as Pastor Suzanne with our math skills. So, before we jump in, let's start with prayer. If you guys will just bow your head with me. Thank you, Father, for this day. We just ask that you move in this place. We just thank you for allowing us to come together as a family, and we just believe that the words today are your words and that you have your will in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, Miss Katie, can you do me a favor? Can you close that door because the sun is getting me? Yeah, you're awesome. So before I start, I would love to just honor our pastors. Our pastors are amazing. So Pastor Bob, Pastor Steve, Pastor Suzanne, and Suzanne, thank you guys so much for allowing me to teach tonight. You guys do crazy amounts of things on this campus, and I am so blessed by you guys. So as you guys could see, I am going to be talking about discipling today. Um, I'm following Pastor Steve's footsteps. He's breaking down the acronym of EDGE. Last week, he talked about growing, encourage, disciple, grow, and evangelize. So sometimes I like to, when I don't understand something, I like to look at a godly principle, right? And then I kind of like to see what the world thinks about it, just so that I can maybe understand a better definition. So what's really interesting is like the word faith. If you go to a Christian and ask them what faith is, they're going to have an answer for you. They're going to be able to explain faith to you. But it's really fun to like go to somebody who's not a believer and just ask them, hey, what's faith? And they're like, oh, well, like that's not cheating on your spouse. Or they'll have like an interesting answer, you know. So I did that with disciple because I was like, I wonder how the world views this word because this is a godly word, right? So disciple. And the definition of a disciple is a learner or one who likes to learn, right? So in my experience on this earth, which is 30 long years, I just have, I have a lot to learn, and I'm open to learning more, and I can't wait to learn. I could break down learning in general into two different kinds of people, just, just from my personal experience. So the first kind of person you have is a student, right? A student is someone who sits down, they take notes, they know all the material, they can quote it word by word, they know the processes, they know the ideal situations, they know the analytics, they're very knowledgeable on any subject that they've studied. That's a student. The second kind of learner is an apprentice, and they're a little different. An apprentice is, like, they take a different role, right? They, they still learn, but they're more hands-on. They learn from emulation. They learn from doing something. Not only do they know why you do something, they know how you do something, and that's very different. They don't just know that 2 plus 2 is 4 because you told them 2 plus 2 is 4, but they know that 2 plus 2 is 4 is because they sat down and looked at it 1, 2, 4. That's 4. And the thing about an apprentice is you could walk away knowing that they, like, they can handle a situation, right? A student, you could walk away from them and leave them to do something and not know how they're going to handle it. But an apprentice, if trained right, you could walk away and know that they've got a situation handled. So let me show you guys a picture real quick, my first picture. These are students. These are engineers on a job site. If you guys don't know, I was a cement mason for seven years. I was a foreman. Construction is, runs deep in my family. So these are engineers. These are very smart people. They're students. They know all about the numbers. They know all about the bids. They know about the grades. They know all kinds of stuff on the job, things that have to be up to code, different things like that. Now let me show you one more picture. Here are some apprentices or at some time were apprentices. And if you look in the back, in the very back with the white hats, you see a guy with a yellow vest. Notice what they're doing. They're just standing there. See, apprentices are a little different than students because it doesn't matter how much schooling those guys in the back have been through. If your construction company relies on those guys with the schooling to finish that concrete, your construction company is gonna fail, right? They're not going to know how to get dirty, get in the mud, scrub out grades, put a specific type of finish on it, because they only know what you do. They don't know why you do or how you do. Two different things. So I want to tell you guys something real quick before we jump in. When it comes to discipling and discipleship, it doesn't matter how much scripture you know. It doesn't matter how much theology you've studied. It doesn't matter if you can break down the Hebrew definition of sin. In Matthew, the devil quoted scripture. 
It would be safe to say that he's probably indoctrinated some theology himself just to throw people off course. So in discipleship, although those things are impressive, they're not necessarily mandatory. What is mandatory is being able to walk hand in hand with Jesus. If you aren't walking hand in hand with Jesus, doing your best to emulate what he did, then you're just the engineer on a concrete pour. You know a lot of things, and that's fun and dandy, but are you doing a lot of things? I like to think of it like this. If you have a group of friends around you who tell you they pray, they'll pray for you, oh, I'm going through this, I'll pray for you. That's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. It's better to have friends who actually pray for you, though. And those are two different things. Oh, I'm going through this, I'll pray for you. Oh, I'm going through this, let's pray about it, right? So it's different to know stuff, to talk about stuff, and actually doing things. You can know that you're supposed to vibrate concrete, but if you actually don't know how to vibrate the concrete, you're doing a lot more harm than good. When you're on a battlefield, it's not enough to know that you have to pull the trigger to shoot the gun. You better learn how to load it, cock it, aim down sights, pull the trigger. And when I think of disciples and I think of Jesus and what he meant for us to be as his students, as his disciples, I truly think he, meant, he called us to be apprentices. I truly think he called us to be apprentices of him. Now, I'm not saying going to school and getting an education is bad. That's great. It's really great to go to school and get an education. I'm a college student right now and a teacher. I do both. It's crazy. Life is like books all over the place, right? But I think when we're talking about discipling for Jesus, when we're, when we're talking about walking this life of Christianity, I think we're called to be apprentices more than we're called to be students. I think we have to do more than we say, right? We have to show more than we act like we do. I don't know about any of you guys, but I can speak from my own life. And when I talk about um, connecting with God and ministering to people, I, I want to show people what Jesus did, not just tell them what he did. Like, I don't want to just tell people that Jesus healed blind eyes, but I actually want to show people's eyes being opened, right? Rather, God uses me to do that or uses Pastor Bob. It doesn't matter to me. But I want people to see how great God is. I don't want to just tell them, oh, man, this person's leg grew out. I want them to see that. I don't want to just tell people that my pastor was healed from cancer. I want people to see that my pastor was healed from cancer, right? I don't want them to just hear about what Jesus did through me. I want them to see what Jesus did. And that's why I think it's important that when we're talking about being disciples or discipleship, we really focus on being apprentices of Jesus. So what was Jesus's main ministry? That's a hard question to answer, right? Because he healed people emotionally and physically and spiritually, right? But truly, truly in the deep depths of my heart, I think Jesus's main ministry was discipleship. It was creating disciples. See, Jesus knew he wasn't going to be on this earth for 50, 60 years. He knew that his time was short. He knew he had a lot to get done in a short bit of time. And oftentimes in ministry, people are so focused on my ministry, my ministry, my ministry, and they're not focused on the ministry. And those are two different things, right? Jesus was never focused on Jesus's ministry. He was focused on the kingdom. See, that's the thing about Jesus is it, it was never him, right? He never got prideful. He never got boastful. He was never like, oh, guys, look what I did, right? It's always, look at what my father did. Look at what my father did. Now, this is a man who walked on water. Surely, if I walked on water, I would call each and every one of you guys. I would go on Facebook Live. I'd be like, whoa, I'm walking on water. Like, I'd be crazy. I'd be hype on it. But Jesus never did that. Jesus' main ministry was creating disciples. And I think that's where we have such a twisting in the Church of America. I think that's where we're falling short in the Church of America. Because honestly, in America, we have so many senior pastors who would rather wait to be raptured out than to start growing the kingdom, start passing on to the next generation, start building disciples and building the kingdom, right? And that's what's scary. Think about it. Jesus only spent three to four years training up disciples before they were launched out of the nest. Three to four years. That's the length of high school. They came in as freshmen and they were gone. All right, go do you. Go start your ministry. Go. No, Jesus, we can't do it without you. I said go. I was watching a documentary with my daughter last night. We love documentaries. And we're, we were learning about elephant seals. 
And did you know that an elephant seal weans their calves, they call them calves, after four months? I believe it was four months. They nurse for four months, and then mama seal says goodbye, disappears into the ocean, and baby elephant seal has got to either survive or die. That's it. Nature is like that. And I think in ministry sometimes we're so coddling, so coddling, and we're babying people along, and we're not launching ministry out. Um, So I want to talk about something real quick. How and why do we raise disciples? Well, the why for me is simple. In Matthew 28, Jesus told us to. So I can't speak for each and every one of you, but that's good enough for me. Jesus told me to. That's why. That's why you raise disciples. Jesus told you to. You know, it's like a a dad. Why do I have to clean my room? Because I told you to. Why? I, I don't owe you the why. I told you to clean your room. I think the key to raising disciples that we have to remember is that we are raising them. That's a key word. When you're discipling somebody, you have to think about what that person is ready for and what they aren't ready for. Just like a baby. Everyone grows and matures at a different rate, right? And you can't expect a newborn to be able to run right away. It's just not fair. No matter how much they wiggle and worm and try to get out of their bed, or if you're like me and my wife, we like to make the Mexican burrito of the blanket, you know? Some of you guys understand that reference, but it's like you get them like this, and they can't move, (laughs) and they're nice and warm. It doesn't matter how much they wiggle and worm. If they're a baby, they can't run. They might want to, but they can't. You know, babies oftentimes want you to feed them things they can't eat before they're ready to eat it. Like, imagine sitting there with your bottle of formula and watching daddy eat a T-bone steak. You're going to be like, dang, dad, I want, I, want, I want some of that, right? But you can't. You don't have teeth yet. You can't chew this. You can't digest it yet. And that's important when we're talking about discipleship because we're going to jump into some things in regards to discipleship. But it's important to remember that there's nothing worse in this world than an 8-year-old who thinks they're a 16-year-old. That is absolutely, like, oh, that is really hard to deal with. I'm telling you guys, if you, have, if you know an 8-year-old who thinks they should be treated like they're 16 or 17, good luck because that is tough. And the same thing is true with baby Christians. Oftentimes, somebody gets a revelation, they come to the Lord, they get saved, they get delivered from something. They've only been serving God for a year or so, and they think they're ready to take over the world. I'm going to start my church. Pastor Bob needs to put me on stage. I have a message for you. And it's like, bro, chill. Chill. Learn how to walk before you run. When you're ready, God will make that happen. God will make that timing happen. But you're just a baby. Ask our youth group. There's only like six of them here tonight. I tell them all the time, stay young as long as you can stay young. Because once you become an adult, you don't get to go back to being a kid. See, a lot of times as kids, we we think like, I can't wait to be 18. And then by the time you hit 20, you're like, I just wish I could go back to high school. (laughs) Wow, these bills suck. Before you're like, these chores suck. And then you're like, these bills suck, you know. Stay a kid. Stay a baby. Stay a sponge. Be able to soak things up before you're ready to take off. So I want to move into discipling what I like to call a teenage Christian. Not a literal teenager, but somebody who's matured to that point of faith. What is one cool thing that we got to talk about real quick is there is no mold, Right? It's not like actual childhood where you're one, then you're five, then you're 10, then you're 15, then you're 20, right? There's nothing like that. It's truly by God's timing when you mature and when you're ready and when things happen. So let's talk about discipling teenage Christians. I really wish there was a book titled Five Easy Ways to Raise a Disciple, but there's not, and I'm not going to write that book. But thank God there is a Bible which helps us answer those questions if we'll do the the depth and the research. So step number one to raising a teenage disciple. Dads are going to love this one. Do as I do. Not me. Not me. But how many of you guys have heard the the saying, do as I do, not as I say? Right? Oh, man, I'm the worst at that. Because, like, I'll tell my my daughter, like, it's after 9 o'clock. You can't have ice cream while I have, like, a fistful of 
a spoonful of ice cream in my mouth, <laughs> you know. And, and I think that's important for us to look at in the Bible. Do as I do. Do as the Bible does. Do as Jesus does, right? Number one is to know that our intentions are pure. First and foremost, we should be able to, or be somebody who tries to emulate Christ. We should be someone who loves with 1 Corinthians in our hearts the best of our ability. You should be someone who celebrates others' victories like they are your own instead of being envious of what people are accomplishing around you. Jesus was never envious of the movements that followed him. He was never like, oh, what? How did, was it Paul who taught for 48 hours straight or something like that? How come Paul can do that and I can't? That's not fair, you know? Jesus was never like that. And when I think about raising a disciple, I think about parents, right? And like, you have, no matter who you are, you have at least a parent, rather they're involved or not. But like in my household, there's two different types of parents. There's my wife and then there's me. We're a little different, okay? We're, we're equally yoked for sure, but we just handle things differently. So we got a little bit of a stomach bug that hit our house this weekend. And uh, I'm laying down sleeping, and we hear over in the corner, Kenai, and I cover my ears with the pillow. Well, actually, hold on. I didn't do that right away. Sharissa is like, what happened? And I jump up like a ninja, like, what's going on? And I see from the corner of my eyes, Kenai in the room throwing up. Then I jump back on the bed and cover my ears with the pillow. And it's not because I'm not willing to help my son. Don't get me wrong. I love my son. It's that I don't do throw up. I'm not the throw up parent, okay? That is not me. My wife, on the other hand, God has blessed her with the ability to stomach that. She can walk through that fire, no problem. Cleaned it up, got him in the shower, got him in, into the living room. They're sleeping over there together. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in the bed like, he just threw up in here. <laughs> right? And that's not me. So remember, think about in discipleship, when we're raising disciples, there's different kinds of parents. There's different kinds of ways you could be raised in that, I, I'm going to say it one more time because it's funny, am not the throw-up parent. That is not me. Step two when raising a teenage disciple is identifying potential. See, when you're raising a disciple, you need to be able to see where these people would exceed and where they would lack. You need to be able to encourage them where they would have potential and help build them up where they need to be built up. Like in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, build each other up as you are doing. And I think that's important. Correction is good, but where does it come from? See, oftentimes when you're raising a disciple, you're, you'll see them do weird things, and then immediately you'll, like, want to rebuke them or, like, correct them, right, or yell at them or something, like when you're raising kids. And correction is good, but see where they lack. Like, hey, man, what you were talking about was good, but was it really biblically sound? You should probably go back and and study that out a little bit, or let's study it together. Let, let's go study it together and, and see what you're talking about there. You know, be careful with how much you're letting them share. Because oftentimes with baby Christians and revelations and stuff, Scripture, man, like, do you guys realize that you guys, those of you that read the Bible, are like master code readers? You really are. Like, the military should hire each and every one of you. Because Scripture can be interpreted so, so differently by so many different people and like me and pastor steve could sit in the office and read a verse and both of us like totally pull different things away from it or understand it differently right and so it's important to know like are are you biblically sound with what you're talking about or are you just yelling out big fancy words because you know them like you can always tell somebody who just learned a new word in high school because they will use it at any given opportunity any given opportunity like when my son learned the word accelerate instead of fast. I'm accelerating. No, you're fast. I'm accelerating. Like, hey man, chill. You're not accelerating, okay? You're not that fast. You're not sonic, all right? Sometimes when people get a little bit of knowledge or they get a new revolution, a revelation, they get so excited to share these things. Like, oh my God, I gotta tell you about it. It's crazy. And then they have such a hard time even like, putting a sentence together because they have this much knowledge and they're trying to drop this much of it on you and they don't even have that, that understanding yet, right? And so being able to reel it in, but identify potential. For example, if you see somebody worshiping their heart out in church, 
and you get close to them and you realize, oh, they can actually carry a tune. We should talk to Lynette and Tyler and see if they're interested in being on the worship team. Identifying potential, right? You see somebody who's really, really good with media and tech. Maybe they don't like church that much, but they're really good with media and tech. Well, how can we get them in church? Hey, man, we have an opening on the production team. We see you're really good on your camera and, and stuff like that. Why don't you come check us out? Why don't you come, come back here in this cool booth and see what we're doing? Identifying potential is a major point of discipleship. Step three, parting the Red Sea. See, this is the part where you guys are going to be like, oh, he contradicted himself. I, I am. I'm going to contradict myself. But you'll know when you know. When you're raising a disciple, you should always be willing to present them with ministry opportunities. Always. Rather they fly or fall, that's not on you. That's on their relationship with God. And I learned this, I learned this uh, saying today that, that's pretty cool. It says, how could you feel fear, or how could you feel faith if you've never felt fear? And how could you know grace if you've never slipped and fell, pretty much, is essentially of what, it, what I'm saying, right? And so sometimes, actually, God will put us in positions where we have to learn a lesson. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And so when you see... Uh, a ministry opportunity for somebody that you're helping raise up, that you're helping disciple, that you're helping grow, you should be willing to present them with those things. That doesn't mean I'm throwing this cool event and you would be perfect for parking lot duty, Pastor Steve. Well, that's not really discipleship. That's just trying to get somebody to do something you didn't want to do, right? But if it's like, I'm throwing this cool event, Connor, I would love for you to open us in prayer. Connor, does that make you comfortable when I do that? Now it does, huh? A little bit, you're fine. But a year ago, were you cool with that? Heck no, right? Parting the Red Sea. Identifying potential and parting the Red Sea. I like to think of Paul. Paul and Timothy are some of my favorite people in the Bible, as well as Jonah and Peter. You guys want to know why I like Peter? Because a lot of people wear, like, WWJD bands, and I really, really want a WWPD band. What would Peter do? Because I just like people to stay on their toes around me and just know that, like, slicing your ear off isn't outside of the realm of possibilities, you know. So <laughs> that's why I like Peter. But <laughs> um, Paul could have uh, had Timothy be his right-hand man until Paul died, essentially. He could have just, come on, Timothy, wherever I go, you're going. Come on, come on, boy. He could have done that. But instead, he gave him ministry opportunities. He put him in charge of churches. He had him do things. And even where he saw that he failed, instead of coming in and stripping him of his title and was like, you didn't listen to me. You didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. You did this wrong. He built him up and encouraged him to keep going instead. Right? In the book of Timothy, it's actually the scripture that our, our youth group is based on. It says, let no man despise you of your youth, but be an example in purity and how you conduct yourself. Right? It's saying... You're young and powerful, and you should use that for your advantage, not for your disadvantage. Young people will take a long time to understand that, but it's okay. I love Paul and Timothy. Next step to raising a teenage disciple, stop focusing on information and focus on transformation. And I think this one is big. See, to be honest with you, it doesn't take somebody special to come up on the pulpit open up in Genesis and just start reading to you guys. Really, anybody can do that, whether they're a Christian or not. They can open up to the book and just start reading to you guys. It does take somebody a little bit more educated to talk about the wonders of the Bible, like giants and cyclops and dragons and all that cool stuff. But that's all information. When you're raising a disciple, you need to be more focused on transformation. Information is cool, but transformation, that's where the conviction of the Holy Spirit is. What does me knowing a dragon in the, is in the Bible help me with my day-to-day -day walk with life? How does me knowing that a dragon in the Bible helps me know that I'm saved by grace? Transformation, the conviction. How does me knowing about a dragon in the Bible help me fight addiction temptations? Right? Transformation is vital to raising a disciple. And information is cool because it could spark conversation it can break down walls. Like, knowing that about giants and dragons and stuff in the Bible is pretty cool because people who play 
role-playing games or who love Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, you have it in. You're like, yo, you like that stuff? Let me tell you, that some of that is kind of real. Let me show you this in the Bible, right? And, and it gives you that in. But that doesn't transform people. And I think as uh, followers of Christ, we get too caught up in showing off all the pretty stuff, showing off all the stuff we know, instead of simply reminding people that you are beloved, you are chosen, you're desired, you were created on purpose, you were created for a purpose, you were created with a purpose. And that's important. Too many people walk around this world not feeling loved every day. Every day. Doesn't matter if they're a husband or a wife, a kid, a grandparent. It's not inclusive to one group of person. I guarantee you at some point in your life, you just woke up and did not feel loved. Doesn't matter if you woke up with your spouse next to you or you woke up with your mom waking you up. And I don't think a lot of people have the revelation of knowing that they are so loved. They are so loved. And that's so important when raising a disciple because when you don't feel loved, oftentimes is where you try to fill that void. Oftentimes that's where you fall into temptation. Oftentimes that's where you slip and mess up. I don't feel loved, but this bottle of liquor will love me. I don't feel loved, but this joint will love me. I don't feel loved, but the prostitute will love me. And making sure a disciple knows that they are loved beyond any measure I mean, we're talking about agape love. Read 1 Corinthians, and it will tell you it's the perfect love. Like, you can be cynical and try to point a, like, poke a hole in 1 Corinthians, but you can't because it's bulletproof. It covers everything. It is the perfect love, and we have that love. Jesus loves us regardless. God loves us regardless of what we've done, what, we've made up, what mistakes we've made, and what we've said. And it's important to remind disciples of those same things, where people that, or people that we're raising up of those same things. Like teenagers, like actual teenagers, like youth ministry teenagers, I could tell them how loved they are on Sunday, and they forget it by Tuesday. And it's like, okay, I have to remind you again. Remember, you're breathing. Oh, I just don't see God in my life. Hold on, take a breath. Did you see the air? No. Were you breathing? Yeah. You're not always going to see God right here. But no, sometimes he's back there, having your back, fighting the battles behind you, stopping the things that are coming after you, right? One of my favorite worship songs is the, this is how I fight my battles. And it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. See, when the, if you think about that in context, like you're, you're getting ready to get jumped and you're like right here and there's like six people and you're turning and all you see are enemies, and you're scared. It may look like I'm surrounded. But then think about you have 30 people surrounding them. And that's what that's trying to say. Step five, you haven't made it. This one's a big one. I think the key in raising disciples is always being willing to be discipled. Always being willing to be raised. You know, at least in the construction industry, oftentimes once somebody becomes a journeyman, they know everything they're ever were meant to know, and you can absolutely not tell them anything ever again. They absolutely know every single way concrete should be finished. They absolutely know every single tool that you should use, and they will never open themselves up to learning something new. They're fixated in their ways. And I think if you wanna be a good disciple and you wanna raise people the way Jesus raised people, is never thinking you've made it. I think you always have to be willing to learn. I think that's the kind of thing that separates the people like Elon Musk in the world. Because this dude is like super smart, right? But to be honest, at some point, he could have just been like, ah, I know enough. I know enough. I'm good. I'm pretty smart. But instead, he continues to push the boundaries of science to expand technology and Sometimes it can be a little too much. I've seen enough movies that androids and cyclopses or cyborgs take over. Like I watched all the Terminators. I'm not excited for that. But um, the thirst for knowledge is a good thing as long as it's spiritually, you know, enforced. And being able to continue to grow as yourself, like remember, we're all destined to slip and fall at some point. Rather, we already have or we're going to do it again. But it's not falling that matters. It's what you do after that. Like the Rocky speech, it doesn't matter how hard you get hit 
or it doesn't matter how hard life hits you. All that matters is that you can get hit and get up and keep moving forward, right? I know I butchered that speech, but like I, <laughs> I listen to it like at least once a month when I need a reminder to stop being a big baby. <laughs> uh, that's important, though. If your pastors want to teach you something, if your brothers and sisters in ministry want to show you something, listen and be discerning. You know, sometimes people can come at you with advice, but they're coming from a fleshly, fleshly place. Be discerning. Just because somebody says something doesn't mean you have to take it verbatim. You know, one of my favorite things to do, my dad taught me when I was a kid, is I take notes in church. And um, when I get home, I try to look at them and trace the verses back. And, okay, how biblical was this verse? Was what I was being taught actually something that's in the Bible, or is it just fluff? You know, it's okay if somebody says they have a word for you or advice for you to just hear them out, not be argumentative. Go away into your holies of holies and meditate on it. Pray on it. Research it. Is this truly something that's going to help my life? Is this truly something that the Spirit needed me to hear? You know, um, one time my wife got a word from somebody and it was like way off. Like, and, and you would have thought if you just took it verbatim for what they said, you would have thought like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this, this girl was hearing from Jesus because the way that she gave it to my, the word to my wife but it was like, we were like looking at each other like, what? You know? So we just took it for that. I was like, eh, whatever. It is what it is. Well, sure enough, a couple days later, that person reached out and said, hey, you know what? I don't really think I was hearing from God. I think that was, that was just stuff. I was just vomiting words, which took a lot of integrity and maturity to do that, right? But had we taken what that person said verbatim, imagine the difference that it could have affected our life. Instead of us praying about it and being discerning and like, what is this person saying? This, this does not make sense, you know? So step five was my last step, but I do have a bonus step. Don't get big-headed. <laughs> this one's hard to do because you get excited when you see people that you've invested into and you've helped grow and you've shown them things and you've like walked them through addiction and walked them through just all kinds of different stuff and help them grow their connection and their relationship with God. You get excited about those things, right? But if you're properly raising disciples in whatever ministry is, you need to let them grow beyond whatever you were able to do, right? Don't let them grow up to where they're almost equal with you and then be like, right? You got to let them grow past you. You got to sit back and think how honored and how privileged you are to see that although you might have stopped, your race might have ended, you might have ran out of gas at some point, they're driving even further and faster than you were. They've picked up the baton and they're sprinting. But if you get big headed, you can just keep them in the car as you're running out of gas. I guess this is where we get off, guys. Right? That's my bonus step. So with that, we are going to open up for questions if anybody has any questions tonight. You guys can just walk up and jump on the microphone. <laughs> okay. Make some noise for Pastor Bob. Couple of thoughts, and while you were talking, and um, you know, when Jesus sent the disciples out, does anybody remember he sent them out twice? One time he sent them out with stuff, and the other time he sent them without stuff. Does anybody remember what he sent them with the first time? With what? Nothing. First time he sent them with nothing. Is it just go? Now, if I was going to disciple somebody, don't you think that I would say, like, hey, Kyle, let's, let's, you're going to send me. Wouldn't you want to give me some stuff? Okay. <laughs> you probably want to help me out. Ah, that's not what he did. Jesus sent him without. Let me ask you a question. This, it, I'm sitting there writing this down while you're talking because it's about discipleship. Why do you think he did that? Go to the mic and tell me. 
You don't have any idea? Guess. Go to the mic. That's what the mic's for. Nobody? One? Should be on. Should be. Okay, here we go. Oh, there we go. Is that it? No, I'm not making it up. I mean, now that you use that expression, I, I would say, but they didn't have the spirit then, so I, I would say to, for dependence upon the spirit to, to provide what they needed. But at that time, the spirit hadn't came yet. But, so. And then also, maybe so that they could fail. I, I would think other than that, if that's not the answer, then so that they would fail and they will see what it's like to, to, to actually. Okay, now you get, gotta think about this because Jesus is very methodical. He's the ultimate discipler. He still is the discipler. Can we agree to that? He's the one that disciples us. So if he sends them without anything, what are they gonna live on? Where are they gonna get it? Come on, you guys. From the people, right? So what's he doing? He's forcing them into a relationship with the people to test doing ministry. Because if you do ministry to get something from it, you're not doing ministry. You're serving yourself. Does that make sense? So he sends them out, and he says, there you go. Guys, go out. You're not going to take any food. You're going to have no money. You have nothing with you. You can't even take an extra pair of sandals. You can't take anything with you. What are you going to do at night? Where are you going to sleep? What is, it, what is he forcing? What is he implying about discipleship? You have to build relationships with the people you're going to minister to. You can't go in and go, hey, come on. Let's sit down. Um, let me tell you everything. You've got to build a relationship. You got to find somebody that's going to let you stay in their house and eat your food. Does that make sense? That's the first step of discipleship. Okay? You want to add to that? No, that's No, come on. You you don't want to add to that? All right, then what's the second thing he does? When he sends them out again, what does he do this time? They take everything with them. Right? They took they took First, I took script. He said, when I sent you out the first time, remember Luke? He said, when I sent you the first time, you didn't have anything. This time, I'm sending you with everything. Anybody want to guess why? Come on, you guys. Okay, that would be a good one. What else? You, don't worry, you can't get it wrong. This is not a test. You can't flunk. <laughs> okay, what? Yes, sir. Well, sure, to bless others, but remember, they're going out now, and now they've learned that their dependence is on Jesus or the Holy Ghost because they had a relationship with Jesus, and he's not with them. So who's he beginning to shift their dependence upon? Got it, the Holy Spirit. So discipleship is not just being discipled to Jesus, or teaching other people about Jesus, if all you do is you, now i got to be careful and get myself in a mess, if all you're going to do is you're going to lead people to Jesus and you don't follow through and lead them to the one that Jesus sent after he left, who's that? The Holy Spirit. So now he's teaching them that they're going to have to show the people that their dependence is not on his presence, but on God's. That's discipleship. That's the bottom line. That's basically what you were talking about tonight. And I'm not taking this over. It's just I'm sitting there going, this will, I mean, that's a good message. So you understand that it, discipleship is about bringing people along so they can bring 
others along. So by the time they go out the second time, now what they're doing is, what are they doing the first time? They're ministering to the people. Now he sends them back out again to the same place. They've already ministered to the people. So why are they going the second time? What? Well, they healed people the first time. He's bringing them along, teaching them what discipleship is really all about. They can go and replicate what they've done to them. Now they go out and do it because they're going to go back and they're going to say, hey, Gay and Larry, thanks for letting us stay in your house the first time. We appreciate you taking us in. Thank you so much. But now we're here to say, you go. We don't need you to take care of us now. And in the whole process, discipleship is not a single event. It's a lifestyle. Like you said, it's the rest of your life you're being discipled. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions before we close in prayer? So I have a question for you. Because I think it's different for uh, everyone in this room. Like for us, because we work for church and we're in ministry, you see people come in and out of the church all the time. But you have people come in and out of your life all the time that you're helping disciple. So I would ask you as a youth leader or Pastor Bob as a senior pastor, not only in church but in your everyday life, how do you deal with the frustration of seeing people come and go, come and go? So for me, because the thing with youth is they're very wishy-washy, and it's not really their fault, but they're not always the most reliable because they don't always have rides. They don't always have, um, you know, ways to get places. They don't always have the money. So, like, hey, we're going to go out to eat. You guys want to come? And, I mean, my wife and I do my, our best to say, hey, we'll cover you. Come out to eat with us and things like that. But it's just staying connected, right? I think you have to be the person who's always texting first. You have to be the person to make the phone call. You have to be the person that goes out of their way to check up on them, you know. And and that's especially hard for someone like me who's more naturally an introvert. Like I can turn the the not the exit what is it? The opposite of introvert. <laughs> yeah, I could turn that on when I need to, but I'm actually more of like a cocoon person who likes my my myself, you know. And um so a lot of times, you know, you're walking and you don't go out of your way to, to see someone or create a relationship with them. But especially with youth ministry, you have to you have to make sure the kids feel like you want them there, that you love them there, that you don't care what cuss words they were saying on Instagram two days ago, but that they could still come through and, and help you out, you know, and, and come alongside of you and learn and even teach and be forgiven for the things that they did. So it's just a constant reminder of, you know, hey, we do want you, like we do love you and you might be living this way, but come on, like come come with me, like come on. And it's a, it's a hard road to walk because a lot of times you're constantly pulling, like come on, come on. But it's it's the moment that you're you're not even a part of what's going on during a chapel and you look over and there's eight kids praying over one girl's knee, right? Like, and that, that's a real thing that happened in our, in our school that me and Pastor Steve talked about or did a chapel together and I, n neither of us talked about healing or anything like that. And it was over and I went to go get my bag and I looked over and one girl with crutches is on her knee and she's surrounded by other teenagers who are laying hands and praying on her, right? It's those moments that it's like, y'all got it. Like you, you, you caught something, you did something. This has nothing to do with me, but the Holy Ghost and Jesus convicted you to, to do something. And so, yeah, the pulling is hard, but then when you see them running, it's like, you go, <laughs> you know? Good, that's good. You know, I think everything we do in this church since the beginning is about discipleship. Every sermon, not every, 99.99% .99 of the messages and the sermons, I've always tried to school them and frame them around discipleship. So it's not about entertaining people. It's not about giving people what they think they need. It's listening to God and saying, this is what needs to be said so you go out being discipled. 
You know why a lot of people won't go back to churches like that? Anybody want to venture a guess? Why do people not go to churches that consistently teach discipleship? They don't want to do it. They don't want to be discipled. They don't want to be discipled. They want to be coddled. They want to be patted on the back. They want Jesus to send them out with a person of script and tell them everything's going to be just fine. No. What Jesus does is he sends you out and he tells you ahead of time, by the way, guys, you're going to get your butt kicked. So get used to it. And if you can't handle church, you're never going to handle discipleship in the world. Does that make sense? That's why vacant chairs are in churches all over America right now and in our community because people don't want to be discipled. People like you who come out on a night like this when it's totally inconvenient, it's because you're hungry. Yes. Make it quick because we have 11 seconds. 11 seconds, okay. No, no. Um, so. We'll start late. Okay, go ahead. So my question is this. So the group, that, the connect group that I'm in, I've noticed that there's a couple of people that are coming to, to me instead of to God. They're doing what? They're coming to me. Oh, I need to come to you to, for prayer. Yeah. And, and I find that okay. That's fine. But um, I, my concern is what do I do when they're flocking to me instead of to God for their needs? Tell them. That, what would Jesus do? Jesus would look Peter right in the eye and say, you white war settler. God. You need to right. Yeah, you tell him. Say, okay. don't, don't keep depending on me. That's part of discipleship. Discipleship is hard. It is not easy. You don't win everybody. Jesus didn't. He ended up with 11. And that's the son of God. Why couldn't Jesus disciple Judas? Some people aren't up to it. But real quick, I would say that you can't, um, you can't be the in-between. Like, you can't be the bodyguard for God, you know. And that's a, that's a really distinct boundary that early on when somebody comes to the Lord or gets a revelation that you have to set in stone with them. Because we, we don't believe that you could, there's steps to get to God. Like, we all believe that you just have to talk to him, you know, and he'll talk to you back. And so, especially with kids, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak because, a lot of times they'll think that their relationship with God is contingent on if me and or the youth pastors or Pastor Stephen, Pastor Suzanne can hold their hand through it, you know. Oh, I'm going through this. Can you pray for me? Well, yeah, I, I would love to pray for you. But did you did you pray about that this morning? And just kind of reminding them, like, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. But, are, you you know, you could do that, too, like in, in, in your holies of holies in the morning. You know, I'll come in agreement with you. So setting that boundary of I'm not your bodyguard, I'm not. God's la liaison, what is that? Liaison. Liaison, yeah. Reg, real quick. Um, okay, so um, one thing that I've learned, you know, from the fellowship that I have and just uh, being the leader of different groups and walking life out with people, one of the greatest tools that I've been able to have is sharing my weaknesses, my, my, my uh, struggles with people, and then also sharing with them the, the, the ways that I walked that out and gained victory through it. So I just wanted to know what is some of the thing or something that you would say is a great weapon or tool that you use in discipling? So for me personally, and this is just my personal conviction, I would say that um, sometimes when people are so fixated on like where they've been, it turns into from who I am now to where I was. And so for me, when I'm discipling, I don't really share my testimony with too many people unless I could see in this instant, this will truly help that person because it could either come across as two things in my opinion. One, it could come across as those were the glory days. I snorted a whole line, it was crazy. And it's like, that doesn't sound like a testimony. That sounds like a flashback, you know? And the other thing it could come across as well, God saved me, but he, like not 100% because there's still this and that that I'm dealing with. So when, when I share my testimony, it's very personal with, in this instant, is this person going to get something from what I've experienced in my life? Um, I grew up in a youth group where the youth pastor every week talked about his testimony. Every single week. I'm not kidding. And that was great for when we had events and stuff. But he was a druggie in the 70s, a professional skater, 
like was all kinds of crazy stuff, had magazines, won X Games, all kinds of stuff, right? And every week he was talking about his testimony. And at some point we noticed something different changing in him. And two years after I graduated high school, turns out he relapsed after 30 years of being sober, overdosed and died. And just like you just said, he was romancing his testimony too much. He spoke so much life into his testimony, even though he thought he was speaking about it from a different place. He continued to give that power. I used to do this, and I used to do that, and it was fun. We had so much fun. I wasn't living for Christ, but those parties were crazy. You know, He gave his testimony so much power that ultimately that came back around. And so I know for me, in my personal walk with the Lord, I could show people how good God is without having to display where I was or where I came from or how I've changed that, that much. Let finish with this. So this discipleship always includes a supernatural surrender to um, transparency. If you're discipling someone and you're not completely and absolutely transparent, let me give you a classic example. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane separates Peter and John from the rest and says, follow me. And says, stop right here. Stay right here. And he goes at a distance where he can be heard. And he lets them hear his travail and his willingness to say, Father, <laughs> I really don't want to do this. That's a, you go read it. That's exactly what he, I really don't want to do this. He's letting them hear the transparency. Because transparency is the key to you discipling someone else. Letting them know your faults and your failures, that encourages people sometimes more than all your successes. Now, let me ask you a question. How do we know what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Because he let those two guys in. Because he knew they'd pass it on. And you know it had to have had an incredible impact on their own life. Because they were able to see Jesus being absolutely transparent. Transparency is the key to discipleship. If you're going to disciple somebody and you're going to let somebody into your life and, and, and let them see what's going on in your life, if all they see is your victories, you're not discipling them. You're, you're, you're doing something else, but you're not discipling them. If they can't see your failures or your struggles, it's not discipleship. Does that make sense? Okay? Steve. Point out that you guys have until 6:45 because we started 30 minutes. Oh, okay. Different. Yeah, so you guys got plenty of time. Okay. Here's something I wanted to bring up. I think sometimes when you can get discouraged as a Christian, <clears throat> you don't realize how much is actually happening in the body of Christ. Yesterday I stopped to get gas, uh, taking Sierra to a dance class, and I seen the I Love Hemet crew. Larry and Gay was there, Christian and Sarah Ticas and Chris Lopez and some others, and Faith and Asher was there. And watching them minister to people. And, man, I remember driving away to go pick up Sierra and just thinking, there's ministry going on all over the place. And it's happening all the time. And for me, that helps encourage me. Like, for you to be in, in positions of leadership, what do you do to help encourage yourself? And what can they do to help encourage themselves? So, I'm a, I'm a big sermon guy. So, <laughs> I have a podcast of – I have uh, – a podcast thing set up of so many sermons that I'll I probably won't be able to listen to them all before I die and I'm only 30 um, worship music you know just staying in as close to God as I could get on any given day like you can ask my students in my classroom we have worship music playing all day long and I don't even know if they know that or not but now they do um, and especially in those moments where I'm feeling weak especially in those moments where I'm feeling like I could easily slip back you know to different things or I could start walking away from the Lord or I get frustrated with the way things are going. Um, that's when I press in even more. And that's a hard, that's a hard trait to develop. Like that's something you have to t like get, learn how to do because anybody that's ever told you, well, quitting isn't an option, they're lying to you. Quitting is actually always an option and it's the most easily accessible option that you can ever make. Like. Quitting anything is always an option. However, are you going to have the grit and the determination to see it out 
and especially when you choose to walk in your calling, get involved in the church, join leadership, get put in charge of ministries. You're just opening yourself up for attacks from every direction, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. I mean, you're, you're going to get it. You're going to get rained on. But knowing that, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for others? Because I know where I'm going when I die. So I could easily just quit and quit discipling and quit ministering and just sit in the, the pews for the rest of my life. But what about the people that didn't get that chance? So it's putting others' benefit before my own. Absolutely. You know, we're going to stand before, you've heard us talk about this before, we're all going to stand before what's called being a judgment. And we're going to stand before that judgment and we're going to be tried for everything we did or didn't do. And it's it, whatever it is that we didn't do that we should have done goes up in flames. It's going to be tested. What are the things that we should have done that we didn't do? It's disciple people and disciple with our life. So we're going to answer to Jesus for what we did with our role and fulfilling Judas's place. I personally believe, now I start a cult here, okay, when I say this, I believe, I've said, and I think you can say the same thing, I want to replace Judas. I want to do what Judas didn't do. And I want what Judas could have done. Does that make sense? Why not? Why not? Whatever Judas could have done, I want it. If somebody didn't do it, does that make sense? Or you're looking at me like deer in headlights. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Why not? If you're going to disciple people, go for the gold. Okay. Reggie, you had something you want to say? You always do. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? Comments? Fellowship and discipleship? Oh, I don't think you can separate them. How can, you, how can you separate fellowship and discipleship? When we're sitting around with one another and we're just talking about the goodness of God and all those kinds of things, we're discipling one another. I, I meet with pastors uh, in the valley every single week. Wednesday, we meet in my office, just because, not because of us, not because of me, just because I have the biggest office. And we can get us all in there. I, I've been in ministry since 1969, however many years that is, 54, okay? Uh, and I, I'm sitting around with guys that I have underwear older than they are, okay? And, and I listen to them because I want to learn from them. If, you, if the older folks can't learn from the younger generation, hello, we got a problem. We always say to the younger generation, you can't learn from the older what about the older learning from the younger? That's discipleship to me. It has nothing to do with age. If you can do something better than me, show me how you do it. I want to know because I want to do it. But the problem is ego gets in the way. And I, don't want, I want you to know that I can't. And I certainly don't want you to know that I think you can. Does that make sense? To me, that's discipleship. Okay? Anything else? Going once. Oh, I want to add to, to what you said real quick. I would say all, all discipleship is fellowship, but not all fellowship is discipleship. So, um, yeah, if you're discipling someone, you need to be fellowshipping with them on a regular basis. But sometimes you just get together with people and, and have yeah. a good time. And it's yeah. not for to learn anything, to gain anything, to grow anything. But it's like, oh, man, I just need this moment of people who get it and be around other people who understand what I'm going through. And we can sit here. And drink Dr. Pepper and watch the Super Bowl together, right? And so I would say all discipleship is fellowship, but not all fellowship is necessarily discipleship. Did he say Dr. Pepper? Yeah, I love Dr. Pepper. I'm going to have to go to the store now. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Want to close? Yeah, so if we don't have any more questions, I will close in prayer, and um, we'll hang around for a little bit if you guys do have any questions. Um, outside of the mic. So thank you, Jesus, for bringing us together for this Edge night. We just ask that um, you give us all traveling mercies on our way home. We thank you for allowing us to congregate together here tonight, Father God, and uh, letting your words speak through me, Father God. And 
We just appreciate everyone. We call everyone here blessed and healed, and we just sit, uh, ask that everyone has a great week. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today at DP City. We would love the opportunity to pray for you, and you could connect with us at dpcitypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to give tithes and offerings at DP City Church, you could do so on our website, www.dpcitychurch.com. We appreciate your support in this ministry and looking forward to seeing you on campus. Have a blessed day.